Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. Imagine if we were paid to learn our whole life and that we could carry our learning around with us in a way that was validated and trusted. Well, today we're doing something a little different. We're going to share a special select episode from our sister slash brother podcast called The Future City. This is run by myself and a very good friend of mine, A.L. Hallamish, and we discuss all things to do with the future of urban environments. And not surprisingly, many of them focus on the role of skills and learning and different institutions across the lifespan. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jackson Smith, a fantastic innovator who's doing some wonderful work around the internet of education and at learning economy. Um, and when you see this, it's the same thing with learning. You're not just consumers of learning content, but producers of learning content. Um, and everyone is in this interconnected mesh of value. Welcome to the Future City Podcast, where we speak with extraordinary people you normally wouldn't hear from about the future of cities. From cocktail artists to urban planners, green thumbs to financial analysts, we share stories about how these creative thinkers and doers are shaping the cities you live in. Get ready to explore this new normal. Hi, and thank you for joining the Future City Podcast. I'm Luca Parry, and I'm joined by my co-host, A.L. Halamish. And today, it's our delight to be speaking with Jackson Smith. Jackson is a storyteller, learner, and tech architect, and he's the co-founder and CTO of the Learning Economy Foundation, a US-based not-for-profit organization with a global mission to accelerate the world toward 22nd century ready education and workplace infrastructures. It's fantastic to have you with us, Jackson. Terrific to be here. Uh, thanks for, for dialing me in. Uh, and so, yeah. It's yeah, always a pleasure, mate. It's always a pleasure. Take us through, well, first question, what's your favorite city? Yeah, it's, it's actually a remarkably easy question for me. Uh, my favorite city is uh, Missoula, Montana, uh, here in, wow. in the States. Uh, it's, 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 it's the city I grew up in, and it's a city that has never left nor never will leave <laughs> it leaves yeah it, it's mark i'm sure continues to resonate throughout and it's it's kind of interesting the the relationships we have with the places we grew up and you know the way they've helped shape us and our worldviews uh also uh and so take us now into what's the big idea that that you're focusing from you know a city in montana now to some of the really global work that you're exploring yeah yeah it's 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 been a long journey um uh, but really, the, the the big idea, at least I, I think it's big, <laughs> is working you know day in day out right now to understand how we can create local and global economies uh, where where you can actually uh, get paid to learn, where you actually have uh, entire ecosystems that create uh, a shared value around mm -hmm. learning, and that shared value is the central engine of the entire economy. This is going to be a great conversation. Take us into, because uh, of course, when we think of learning, often we think of like a pay for service. So we would, you know, sign on to a university degree or, you know, do a, a, some sort of micro credential and we're paying for that. So explain to us how, how on earth would we even flip this in terms of, you know, being paid for learning and, and how do we think about how this intersects with, you know, with skills gaps or, you know, the way that, that cities and governments, you know, human capital investors, can think differently about, you know, leveraging the, the incredible power that learning offers. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's it's exactly that, uh, which is inverting that that traditional idea that uh, when you go to a university, to take an example, uh, especially here in the states, uh, you know, you you are essentially paying for a bundle of knowledge and for that you know golden degree uh, at the end of it. And so you know where this journey started uh, with us about five years ago really was around how do you invert that. Uh, really back to a lot of central ideas around learning being a public good, right? Where learning really is about a holistic understanding of your place in the world as you are constantly becoming. Uh, and mm. as a public good, um, it's something that the more all of us are doing, the more we're all learning, the more we can all face all of these shared, you know, kind of crises and global events more, uh, uh, you know, important than ever uh, together. Um, mm. And the moment we stop learning, the moment we no longer value it or value it only, uh, you know, for the, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, liminal short-term goals that we're, we're going after, um, mm. uh, the less our cities are going to be resilient uh, in the future, the less as a globe we're going to be able to face these, you know, uh, uh, border crossing, border uh, uh, changing events that are happening to us right now. Yeah, look, that's really interesting. The... Uh, we've had the metaphor, you know, of the kind of staircase of learning, you know, and so you do your formal K to 12, you know, you start as a young child and then you get to university and then you've kind of, you're done with learning and it's just about work. But of course, as we know, in the kind of the emerging future of work, including in our cities, this idea of learning for life in lifelong, life-wide, life-deep ways, I think is just so interesting. Um, and I'd love, I'd love you to take us through, you know, how, A, how that paradigm is is changing or has changed, continues to change. And then B, what's a what's an example from some of your work around how you build kind of a, like a local ecosystem around these ideas? You know, I think of the C-Lab, for example, in particular in Colorado that, that you've been working on as one example you might want to talk to. Yeah, and so I, you know, I'll start with, uh, I think, a, a concrete example of how these things are, you know, they're happening right now. Uh, and then I'll, I'll work backwards because I think to really kind of wrap your mind around it, uh, there yeah, is cool. a, a broader frame here. Um, so yeah, so we've got kind of ecosystems we're incubating with a number of lovely partners uh, all over the world. Um, looking at, as you mentioned, we call them collabs. So in Colorado, we have a collab across the state uh, working with all sorts of institutions like the Colorado Department of Higher Education. Uh, we're working in Broward County, Florida, for example. Uh, and then across Asia Pacific um, as well. And each of these ecosystems, and, and there are others as well, um, but these are three really, I think, good examples of some really interesting work happening right now, um, are, are all solving various different problems that, uh, and issues and challenges that happen when you, you try to invert that <laughs> bundle of knowledge paradigm. Um, and so in Colorado, uh, in all of them actually, you know, foundational uh, piece of this is uh, equity and access to systems. And so a lot of the research and pilots there are around, uh, you know, with internet, especially right now, you know, is a major barrier, you know, how can you uh, expand access to modes of learning, whether it's through your library or it's through setting up kind of, you know, small local 5G networks, um, et cetera. Um, and then the next piece that we've spent an enormous amount of time on is this idea of a learner wallet. Um, and yeah, cool. it, mm. Sounds kind of simple, <laughs> you know, this, this place for you to store your learner credentials. Um, but it really has been making waves uh, lately, which is 
uh, essentially that you as a learner see yourself as a learner for your entire lifetime. Um, and instead of having every institution, you know, a library or your school, you know, your high school and your college, and then, you know, what have you store all your credentials for you and then possibly charge you a fee to go verify them later is that you can actually uh, essentially own or co-own every credential and have it stored on your phone. And so as you go from uh, middle school um, to, you know, you go take some classes at your local library and then you go take some courses on Khan Academy and then you go to high school and you, you know, you get really into algebra. Uh, mm. All of these various things that you're learning <laughs> in, in traditional and non-traditional contexts uh, that you can actually carry them with you. Uh, and uh, they're actually owned by you, that you can actually uh, show them and share them with anyone. You can go volunteer um, or apply for a job and immediately have those credentials recognized as a currency that can cross borders, whether it's between school districts or across states or between countries. Um, and this involves an enormous amount of translation, <laughs> as you can imagine, between technical understandings of what all these things mean, but also just social contexts for what learning algebra, say, in a uh, high school in uh, southern Florida does versus what taking the equivalent, you know, in on Khan Academy is or uh, in, in Thailand. Um, mm. So a lot of our work, I can pause here, but a lot of our work right now is around empowering the learner to essentially have all their credentials stored securely uh, under their uh, ownership. This is, this is fascinating. It, it kind of takes me to a bit of what we're seeing emerge, even in like the LinkedIn environments where we're starting to track different skill sets. It's peer-based, you know, acknowledgement of, of having some soft skills or sometimes even some hard skills. Now they've got entire, you know, learning networks and, and people are doing a lot more online courses, online degrees. And I'm curious in the work that you've been doing, how do you, you know, what are you noticing? Like, what's the relationship between, you know, a learner and, for example, whether it be their, you know, a location, like you mentioned in Colorado, we've got, you know, the C-Lab is focused on a location. They've now got a vested interest in their learners, right? So they kind of probably want to keep their learners in a certain geography for a certain period of time or in Broward County or in APAC. Like, what's the relationship once you start to really invest in uh, people's education, and then, and they they then own that that credential. What's this relationship that we're starting to build, and what are you starting to notice in the work that you're doing? It's a fascinating, fascinating question. Um, and we've we've actually done a lot of research on this, and it's it's what gets me uh, really excited. You know, as as my opening city, I love Missoula, Montana, and I'm constantly, uh, you know, returning to home and and understanding ways I can I can continue to give back, um, and I, I would like to for the rest of my life. And so you know, kind of extending the same idea, you know, again, if, if, if we, as we're starting to see where you don't just go to school and then give up or, you know, stop learning and, and go, you know, do your job in your life for the rest of your life, uh, is that when you earn a credential for every credential you earn at an institution, um, it's actually possible that you could start earning a sort of equity in that same institution, mm. which is, you know, kind of mm. fancy financial speak in some ways, right. That you could actually have a stake in the success of that institution. So mm -hmm. if you go to your high school and you learn, you know, algebra, and then you really get into calculus and you go, uh, uh, you know, on to, to, to become a rocket scientist, you know, or whatever. Um, uh, and you actually might have equity in that high school and, and, and be incentivized mm -hmm. to come back and actually, uh, you know, be a tutor uh, and to right. contribute, you know, materials or learning materials or, you know, et cetera, 
back into uh, the schools and not just one school, but every community that you're a part of. So the more you learn in a community, the more you can actually in this economy uh, have a vested interest in the continuing flourishing and success of, of that particular learning community. Mm. It's, it's really fascinating. I think about how, you know, like a lot of us are traveling, you know, we're, we're constantly moving between different geographies. You know, I, I, I studied in one city in the U S then another city in the U S then I was in Australia for a number of years where I've learned a whole bunch of stuff, but somehow the education kind of comes with me, but my contribution back to those locations uh, feels quite limited. Once you leave the space, you know, when you're not in the space, it's a bit out of space, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And um, it's interesting to, to start. And, and I think in some of the institutions we see, you know, a certain uh, targeted alumni are brought back in to, to invest, you know, in a big center, we might see their name, or if, if you're a standout personality, they might bring you back for a graduation speech or something, right? But that's kind of the limit for, for a lot of this, this reinvestment. And I'm curious, like, what does that look like? Is it, is it purely soft? Is it hard? And are we starting to see our institutions maybe become even more capitalist as a result of this type of, of system? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really great question. Um, which, which is, is important actually to, to kind of, I wanted to, to zoom out here. Right. And I think to really understand these pieces and to make sure that we don't, uh, end up creating, you know, the factory for automatons, if you will, our <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so. dreaded, uh, you know, uh, uh, future, uh, you know, dystopic futures. Dystopian, yeah. Um, you know, it's really to understand, uh, you know, in the context of what's happening to the internet right now, um, because in many ways, the internet's, uh, you know, it, it still has revolution on people's tongues, but it has a, a remarkably uh, negative taste left in people's mouth. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of the claims of, you know, uh, uh, empowering and democracy and, you know, liberation and free expression and thought are obviously, you know, uh, uh, the Pandora's box has been opened. Um, and what's really interesting, though, is that there's been a missing uh, piece to the internet, right? In that uh, the computer came along and it taught us how to crunch, you know, insanely large amounts of data and information. The internet came along and it let us connect that information between any, you know, two people or computers or entities. Um, it allowed us to communicate at the scale and speed that we are now. Um, but it's always been missing this critical uh, layer of, of value transfer. Um, this ability to, to send value uh, between any two people, you know, without permission. Um, and so that's what a lot of our work is focused on as well and kind of at the heart of what we're talking about, which is that when information can saturate, um, but you can't convey how much uh, certain pieces of information matter to a specific community along with that information, you allow, you know, a single Russian troll in, in the basement, you know, to control uh, uh, a lot of the discourse that's happening online, for example. Um, and this isn't going to be fixed by, you know, a, a congressional Facebook court, <laughs> so, <laughs> these kinds yeah. of issues. Um, it's going to be fixed in, in two ways. Um, one is at every layer <laughs> involving uh, people in that hard process and in the process, right, uh, of, you know, journalists, um, uh, not just being journalists, but actually being coaches in the supply chain of information consumption. Right. And mm. everyone understanding that they're not just consumers of information, uh, they're producers of information. Um, and when you see this, it's the same thing when learning. You're not just consumers of learning content, but producers of learning content. Um, and yeah. everyone is in this interconnected mesh of value. Um, and if you can, and so this it comes back to what's happening to the internet. 
is value infrastructures are being laid out so that any community can understand what their shared value system is and exit existing bad incentives um, and create their own and say, we care about learning. <laughs> we care about reducing the global burden of disease. And if you can define what those things are and you uh, can, can uh, uh, mobilize people around that, you can actually create new value symbols that actually uh, uh, back those ways of thinking and caring about the world and mobilize mass collective action um, that isn't just sharing Facebook information. It's actually yeah. mobilizing value people uh, around what they care about. That's, that's put so well, Jackson. I mean, that really is the, the great challenge we see manifesting everywhere. And I'd, I'd love you to talk, I mean, when, when you talk about value exchange, one's mind goes towards a currency of some sort. Right. And I know that you're quite close with, you know, well, certainly as a, as, a, as a technologist, you know, with, with kind of blockchain technology and, and the idea of blockchain-based currencies. Uh, is, there, is there implications for how we might do this? For example, a learner passport or a learner wallet being based on something that is, is trusted and verifiable and exchangeable in some senses as well. You know, what, what, what's the current understanding that you have or the current kind of edge that you're exploring around the currencies that might play a role in, in the kind of internet of education, which is how, you know, we've heard Chris Purifoy talk about it before. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, so, so currencies are absolutely an interesting, you know, and big part of this. They're not the only part, of course. Um, you know, within our network, uh, so we're doing, a, you know, kind of workshop uh, every other month right now with the World Bank to bring kind of countries from around the world to essentially uh, really think concretely about what learning economies would look like um, mm. in various localities. Um, but, you know, one of the, the projects um, kind of in the network uh, was this project called the uh, Evoke um, that actually looked in Colombia um, at ways of actually allowing learners to go on a kind of story driven, it was kind of a fun, I, don't know, I think it was sci-fi uh, story that they built projects for their local communities. And at various checkpoints, um, they actually earned um, a currency. They actually earned a, a currency that could be exchanged for uh, uh, you know, other learning materials and scholarships and, and you know, further uh, educational opportunities or food. Um, and that's a really mm -hmm. powerful model, right? This ability to uh, essentially um, allow people to donate to, in this kind of particular example, and, and donate to um, specific educational outcomes and actually just have that unlock for learners as they achieve them. Um, to, to spend in, in whatever ways uh, that is most fruitful for advancing their education, right? We know all this is interconnected. And so it's not just, you know, uh, are, are you smart? <laughs> it's do you have enough food on the table? Do you, you know, are you, do you have access to the resources you need? And so currencies and the ability to mobilize that value toward uh, people who are learning um, is, is really, really interesting right now. Yeah. Um, final question for me, Jackson. Uh, out of my 500 that I have <laughs> is how, how to, um, you know, there's a vision that you're working towards, you know, both as a change agent yourself, but also kind of with the organizations and the spaces that you inhabit and contribute to, you know, you know, you talk about the, the second century of education. You know, we're still talking about 21st century skills, even though <laughs> no, no learner in a school has been born in a other century, except the 21st century. <laughs> so like, what's the vision that you really see 
playing out, knowing that there are multiple scenarios at play, we may not get there. But if, if you could and are as a co-designer in this kind of new sense of a learning economy um, of, you know, value exchange of the idea of really elevating the amazing process that learning is and incentivizing it properly. What would that look like if you would, even if you would talk about, you know, your hometown, what would the reality be in 2050, for example, if, if we could nail some of these concepts and really use the power of the internet, the power of technology uh, for good to solve skills gaps, to solve equity challenges, you know, to make sure that everyone can live a, a flourishing life? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really great question. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Why 22nd century instead of 21st century? Uh, and you know, in, in, in some ways, uh, it, it, it is kind of tongue in cheek, um, but it's, it's that we haven't moved on from the 21st century and yeah. these systems that we're designing, uh, you know, we all must be cognizant that the impact, um, <laughs> you know, like founding cities, literally founding, you know, whole countries, uh, you know, goes on for generations and generations. And so, uh, a really key part of this, um, is governance from the beginning, right. Is understanding that this isn't just systems, you know, that are, you know, national standardization of, you know, what skills mean and have that trickle down. Uh, it's actually having learners um, and teachers and parents and, you know, and anyone who's in this process uh, at the table from the beginning um, as part of this mm -hmm. dynamic uh, thing that they all have a voice in. Um, and so how does that, you know, translate into a 2050? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think, as I said before, I mean, we are, you know, entering an era of crisis, the perpetual crisis, which various industries are supporting that, you know, and whatnot. Um, but this is a world, you know, that you can imagine, uh, you know, where a refugee can, can get paid to, to learn new languages as they find themselves in foreign lands and have a bank account and, uh, you know, new knowledge and skills to, to thrive and flourish with their family, you know, a world where uh, those laid off by the tide of automation, um, something that is causing jobs to dwindle at exponential rates, um, can find new meaning uh, in life beyond an identity that's tied to just what you produce and what you make. Mm. Um, totally. You know, this is a world um, where learning underpins uh, everything else. Um, and, uh, you know, the next generation can prepare themselves for all these crises that, that we haven't even seen yet. Yeah. Jackson, the this idea is, is so big, but it's also so real, uh, and it's really riveting to hear you speak about it. And uh, we could we could speak about this for for hours, just unpacking what it means to to get paid to learn, to build a learning economy, and all all that you've you've raised is just peppering so many questions in my mind. But I want to close with one final question, which is if you could uh, put together a take home message in a, a sentence or two for our listeners, what would be that take home message? Yeah, uh, it's it's a uh, it's. I, I'm always wondering what I should take home every day, even though I, I work out of my home <laughs> these days. Uh, yeah. And you know, really, it's uh, that laughter is serious. <laughs> you know, these are 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 big problems, uh, and you know, we're we're faced at a time where time is melting. <laughs> We're, yeah. we're kind of, uh, I feel like I'm living in the land of Lilliputians and you know, where everything that was close is far and far is near. Uh, and that uh, I'm very excited 
for all of us to not lose our imaginations um, and to, to, to remember that, you know, uh, the way things are, are not the way that they need to be. Um, and often laughing is a way to get us there. <laughs> Jackson, sign me up is what I say. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> awesome. us uh, on the Future City Podcast. It's been a real delight. Thank you for having me. It's been very lovely chatting with you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on the Future City Podcast. Join us at thefuturecity.org for more of what you heard.